And it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the cornfields and his disciples plucked the ears of corn and did eat, rubbing them in their hands. And certain of the Pharisees said unto them, Why do ye that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath days? And Jesus answering them said, Have you never read so much as this what David did when himself was hungered and they which were with him? How he went into the house of God and did take and eat the showbread and gave also to them that were with him, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests alone. And he said unto them, that the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught, and there was a man whose right hand was withered, and the scribes and Pharisees watched him whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man which had the withered hand, Rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. And Jesus said unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to, to do evil, to save life or destroy it? And looking around upon them all, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And they were filled with madness and communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we just ask that as we study your word tonight, you would help us to understand. You would help us to see what Luke was wanting us to know under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We ask that we would be encouraged. I pray, Father, that tonight our faith would be strengthened as we see our Savior. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Jesus had ministered for a little over a year at this point, and now he is beginning to show them some things. He, would, at this point, had been a very popular crowd speaker. Everyone wanted to come and hear him. Everyone wanted to hear what this man was going to do, especially because he, he knew, he spoke with authority, and not like the religious leaders. As I mentioned to you, at the end of chapter 5, Jesus talks about there's going to be complete changes that were going to have to take place. It wasn't going to be a patching up. It wasn't going to be a propping up of the old Judaism. The scribes and Pharisees knew Judaism had problems, but they were thinking, what do you do? You fix it up. You put it together again. You do what you've got to do. And Jesus is saying, no, you can't do that. And tonight he takes aim at probably one of the most tender areas for the Jews, and that was the Sabbath. Now he's already attacked several other things as he's doing his teaching, but, he, but he's presenting the Sabbath. And to us, we read it, we hear it, and we go, okay, that's the Sabbath. To the Jews, this was a very big deal. To the Jews, the Sabbath was, was their connection to God, to Creator. It was unique for the Jews. And so they had done all kinds of things, not only to protect it, but they had insulated it. And they had made all kinds of rules. 
you know, well, if you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath, what, what does that look like? Which is what everyone always wants to know. So what does this look like? And they had made all kinds of rules. Typically, you could not, they had decided that you could not go any further than, it was about 830 yards. And so the way that people would get around that is they would take their meals for that day and they would go out about 800 yards and they would set it there. So now you could go 800 yards back this way to the house and you could go out another 800 yards beyond where the meal was to go out. And, you know, they were just working on stretching this. Now, interestingly, in our text tonight, you do not see that they accused him of traveling too far. But what they did accuse him was, as they were traveling, the disciples who were hungry, and it tells you a little bit about their financial situation, they were gleaning on the outside of a field. But what they had done was, as they were beginning to work the grain in their hands, that would be considered harvesting, that would be considered threshing, that would be considered winnowing, all that with just what they did with their hands, and therefore they had violated the law. And in verse 2, you see he talks ye. Why do ye do this? And that's a plural. He was accusing, they were accusing Jesus and they were accusing all of the disciples of violating the Sabbath. And Jesus in this text is beginning to show us, no, there's something new. The Sabbath is no longer going to be useful. It's no longer going to be functionable. And why did he have the right to do that? So let's look at this. They said, why do ye, plural, why do all of you in the South, they would say, why do y'all, why do you do this? And Jesus answering them said, Have ye not read so much as this? Now here's what happened. When there was ever a dispute about the law, the way they would discuss it is they would go back and they would look and say, What does Scripture say? What is precedent on this issue? Jesus was not trying to be evasive. Jesus was in fact saying, Here's what the scriptures say. Here's an application that tells you here's what the Sabbath would be like. So Jesus then quotes, he says, Did you never read so much as this, what David did when himself was hungered and they which were with him, how he went into the house of God and did take and eat showbread and gave also to them that were with him, which is not lawful to eat but for the priests alone, and he said unto them, This is that son, this is, that the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Now we pause there and let's think about what Jesus just did. Jesus refers them back to David. Now, what do we know about David? Remember when we did the study in Ruth. And as you look back in Ruth, what do we know was going to be the lineage that came through David? The Messiah was going to come through David. They would look at David and they would say, here is the ruler, here is the king, here is also the one through whom the Messiah would come. And how did David deal with the law? And the point that he was making here, he was not trying to say, see, David did wrong too. He wasn't, he wasn't blaming David. He was saying, no, David understood. And here's how David handled that. And that was... What was more important, the life of an individual or the law that was designed to be a blessing to the individual? But also at the heart of that, Jesus makes this statement. Jesus said, um, 
which is not lawful to eat before the priests alone. And he said unto them that the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Now here's, here's the interesting thing. Old Testament, you read about the Son of Man. In the New Testament, if you look and see, there's a number of, of renderings of the Son of Man in the New Testament, but other than one time when they are quoting back and asking Jesus, what do you mean Son of Man? Every time that Son of Man is used in the four Gospels, it's always Jesus referring to himself, referring to the Messiah. And so when he said, I have, the Son of Man has authority over the Sabbath, he's really saying, I'm God. We read in verse 6, And it came to pass on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught, and there was a man whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him whether he would heal on the Sabbath day. I can't say for certain, but a number of the commentaries, and maybe some of you have ever heard J. Vernon McGee. J. Vernon always had such an interesting twist on things, but he also was just, here's what I think. J. Vernon says, that guy's planted for certain. He was a plant. They put him there. They wanted to see what Jesus would do. In fact, they were certain what Jesus was going to do with that guy, and they wanted to leave Jesus high and dry because they were going to say, you violated the Sabbath. So Jesus comes in. Here's a man with a withered right hand. And the, uh, the scribes and Pharisees watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might find accusation against him. And so Jesus immediately says, rise up and stand forth in the midst. Now, how comfortable would you be if I just all of a sudden looked out and chose and said, stand up? You know, and all of a sudden you're going, uh, what are you going to do? But here is also a man who had a, a withered right hand. So he stands up and Jesus says, I'm going to ask you something. Is it lawful on the Sabbath day to do good or to do evil? Now, Jesus went right to the heart of it. And to the Jew, to not do good was to do evil. And he had them on the horns of a dilemma. How will they respond to this? But then Jesus goes a step further. Notice the next thing Jesus said, to save life or to destroy it. Now, this man had a withered hand. This man was not dying. This man was not going to expire at that point if Jesus did not heal him. And the Sabbath laws said, if it is to save life, you can reach out and you can do something. But if it's not life-threatening, you need to wait. And you do it the next day. Do it on Sunday. Do it on the first day of the week. But don't do it on the Sabbath. And interestingly enough, Jesus says, is it right to do good or to do evil? Well, the obvious answer, and they knew, was to do good. And they knew when Jesus said to do good, it was to heal that guy's hand. Jesus was directing them back and logically saying, you've missed the point. And again, it's the kindness of Jesus. Jesus wanted them to come to the right decision. But then Jesus makes this next statement when he says, to save life or destroy it. Who was he talking to? What was he talking about? 
He had moved from the man with the withered hand and was now talking about himself. Because what did these men want to do? They were looking for how they could destroy Jesus. And Jesus looks to them and he says, and which is right, to save life or to destroy it? And these people were furious. Now notice, and looking around, verse 10, and looking around upon them all, he said to the man, stretch forth thine hand. Now here's just, we, we move off point for just a moment, but I think it's important for us to recognize. The main point is, who is this man? Who is this compassionate person who cares for his disciples that they would eat, who understands that the whole point of the, uh, of the Sabbath was to be a blessing and it was an identifier for the Jews? Who is this man who understands this crippled man who needs his hand to be put back and cares for this man? And the point that, that Luke is pointing us to is, this is the Messiah. But I'm going to pause for just a moment and have you stop and think for a moment. How comfortable is a person who has something that is deformed? How comfortable are they just to show it to everybody? What do they typically do? They just kind of keep it in their pocket. Maybe you remember John McCain. Remember John McCain with his hand that was hurt when he was uh, a POW? And what did John McCain always have in his hand? Always had a pen. It was so that it didn't draw attention to what was not normal. Here's a man who has to pause at this moment and has to decide, who do I really believe? Am I going to side with all of these religious leaders or am I going to side with Jesus? The Messiah, Jesus, says, put out your hand. And he has to make a decision by faith. What will I do? And the man by faith said, these other people, they can't help me. They've seen me. They maybe even brought me and put me here to make Jesus look bad. And Jesus says, put forth your hand. And the man says, I'm with Jesus. And by faith, he obeys what Jesus says. And he's healed. You know, so often... If you listen to most people, they're going to tell you, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. If you'll do these things, you can be saved. The scriptures say, for by grace are you saved through faith. It is taking God at his word. It is trusting God to be trustworthy. And we are saved. We were dead. There was nothing we could do. And here's such a simple illustration, but a wonderful illustration of a man's testimony that said, trust man's religion, trust Jesus. I trust Jesus. And you look then at the next verse, verse 11. And they were filled with madness. That word means literally to lose. They were furious to lose one's senses. It's an irrational anger. At that point, they lost it in the vernacular, the way we would talk today. They just lost it. 
And where we, we begin next week is, and it came to pass in those days that he went into the mountain to pray. Jesus, as he is beginning to show the changes of what's going to take place, he begins praying for them. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to pause there, and I have moved quickly through this on purpose because I just want to take a moment and, and talk about something as a church, something that we do, but I want us to think about it. When I was growing up, what did you do on Sunday? What restrictions were there on Sunday? What guidelines are there for us on Sunday? Can you go to a professional sports game? Well, when I was growing up, that was something you had to think about. Could you play on Sunday? What kind of games could you play on Sunday? Could you wash your car on Sunday? Could you cut the grass on Sunday? Maybe some of you are going, I've never even heard of these thoughts. Oh, maybe some of you have. I don't know. Is Sunday the Christian's Sabbath? Why don't we worship on Saturday? Do we have restrictions now that we have a Christian Sabbath? Do we have restrictions on that day? And I just want to pause for a little bit tonight, and I want to just kind of pull something back so that we're just thinking about it. And that is, um, the Sabbath was given to the Jews. And therefore, the Sabbath was only for the Jews. So here's a couple thoughts. First one is the Sabbath is an Old Testament command. It's not a New Testament command. And it was specifically given to the Jews. Do you know in the entire New Testament there is not a single command that says you need to observe the Sabbath? Maybe you're thinking the Apostle Paul did. No, the Apostle Paul went to the synagogue and he did that just like any of us would go to wherever the unsaved are to witness. It wasn't that he was observing the Sabbath as much as he was going to where the people were to witness. Can you think of a time when Jesus commanded his disciples to keep the Sabbath? I can't think of a one. Um, the Jews sought to kill Jesus. In fact, John 5.18 says the Jews sought to kill Jesus because of what Jesus taught about the Sabbath. You know, the apostles did not teach the New Testament churches to observe the Sabbath. The he uh, in Hebrews and James, which were written to Jewish Christians, they don't ever refer to keeping the Sabbath. And Paul in his epistles never intimated that Christians are to observe the Sabbath. You would think between Jesus Christ the apostles, the writings of the New Testament, and the Apostle Paul, someone would have said, keep the Sabbath. It's not there. Second thing I want you to notice is the Sabbath is Mosaic law given under uh, the law. Genesis chapter 2 teaches us that when God finished creating, he rested. But you know, we never read anything in the scriptures that God commanded Adam 
or that God commanded Enoch or Noah or Abraham to keep the Sabbath. It's not until the giving of the law. The first mention of the Sabbath is in Exodus chapter 16. Third thing that I thought was interesting is the Sabbath was given as a special sign to Israel. If you would, let's turn over to Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31, verse 12. I, uh, I'm sorry, Exodus, my eyes have skipped here. Exodus 31, 12. Okay, here we go. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak thou unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily, my Sabbaths, Ye shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. Ye shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it shall surely be put to death, for whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from his people. Now, notice what he's doing here. It is a special sign for Israel. In fact, if we were to go to Ezekiel 20, verse 12, he would do the same thing again. He would say, this is a sign for Israel. New Testament Christians, in fact, are warned against keeping the Sabbath in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, where he talks about seasons and new moons, and he's talking about keeping Sabbath days, and there's a warning here. In fact, in Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, he does the same thing. Sometimes we'll hear the term a Christian Sabbath, and what they really mean is Sunday. But the word Sabbath, speaking of one particular day of the week, is used in the Bible, always means the seventh day. Sunday is always the first day. So the Jewish Sabbath, Saturday, was a day for physical rest, not a day of worship. Exodus 20, verse 10 says, the Sabbath means a cessation or a rest. You know, the New Testament, we're not given any command from God to abstain from labor on any certain day, nor to even meet or to worship on a certain day. We're not commanded to do that. John R. Rice, in a pamphlet that he wrote, gives this comparison of Sabbath versus Sunday. Sabbath with to the Israelites only under the Mosaic law. The Lord's day is a New Testament is for New Testament Christians under grace. The Sabbath was law enforced with penalty of death. The Lord's day or the first day is grace without a command or a penalty and it's observed voluntarily. Verse uh, third point he gave was the Sabbath was a day of physical rest. The Lord's day was a day of worship. The Sabbath typified salvation by works. The Lord's Day typifies, typifies salvation by grace. A friend of mine, in his book, as he was writing on the Ten Commandments, said, so why do we worship on Sunday? And I'm going to give you a number of reasons 
why we do this, but what you have to remember is this is still all, we do this voluntarily as a choice, living under grace. We are not under the law. So let's think about this for just a moment. Why would we worship on Sunday? Why would we choose to worship on Sunday as compared to any other day? If we're free and the Bible does not command us to do something, why do we do it on Sunday? These I thought were interesting. One, Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. This is an incredible event to remember. Um, Jesus appeared to the ten disciples on the first day of the week, John 20, verse 19. Jesus waited a week and on the first day of the week appeared to the eleven disciples. The promised coming of the Holy Spirit was fulfilled on the first day of the week on the day of Pentecost, which by law came on the first day of the week, according to Leviticus. On the first day of the week, the first gospel sermon on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was preached by the Apostle Peter. On that same first day of the week, we have 3,000 converts that were united into the first church. On the same day of the week, people were baptized. At Troas, the Christians assembled for worship on the first day of the week. And at Troas, Paul preached to the assembled Christians on the first day of the week. And Paul instructed Christians at Corinth to make contribution on the first day of the week. So we have a pattern, and we have a lot of really amazing things that took place. But do we sin if we do not meet on the first day of the week? And the answer is no. There's not a command that's there. It's, it's a delight to do it because of all the things that happened, all the things that it reminds us of. Sadly, maybe we don't really go through those things very often in our minds when we come to church. It's Sunday. we got to go to church. And we hurry, and we're trying to find our kids' shoes, and we're trying to find our stuff, and we're trying to get everything together, and maybe we're running a little late, and now we're hitting traffic lights wrong, or we get behind somebody that's driving too slowly, and by the time we get to church... We're not really thinking about, wow, this is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Wow, this is the day that the Holy Spirit was given. Wow, this was the day that, that we see the first message being preached, the gospel presentation of the death, burial, and resurrection. Wow, this is the first, this is when the New Testament church was meeting. Now we're thinking, I cannot believe that guy drove so slowly, and I cannot believe my kids couldn't find their shoes. I told them last night they should find those shoes and they should put them. You see... And we've missed often the blessing of what God wants us to do. Now, we do know from Hebrews that he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. So they obviously knew they should be meeting together. And they knew it was important that they met together because he reminded them of that. But here's the thing that I just want you to back up for just a moment, and that is so often we want to turn the blessing and the freedom and the time of grace that we live in to where we're free to, to serve God and we're free to love God, we turn everything into duty. We turn it into difficulty. We turn it into guilt trips. We turn it into all those different things. You know, I am very thankful that we have Sunday blue laws still here. 
if those of you who live around here, you're used to this, this is really different. Not too many places anymore where we've been that they still have blue laws. Now, I'm glad. It's, it's nice. You know, we have people that aren't pressured to say, I can't work. I've got to, I want to go worship today. You know, I'm thankful for businessmen like Chick-fil-A that says, we're going to close on Sunday. You can go worship. You can spend time with your family. You can do whatever. We'll be okay. I'm grateful they do that. It's not commanded in the scriptures. But it's a choice we make. You know, you're going you're gonna to have decisions, especially you young people. You know, I think of, you know, Zach and some of you and I think of Daniel. And, you know, you got jobs and different things that are going to be coming up. And you go, do I take this Sunday job? Do I not take this Sunday job? And it's not that you sin if you work on Sunday. But I would encourage you to stop and think, but do I have to? What do you do on, how do you prepare for Sundays? How important is Sundays? And I would just encourage you to think about that. You know, often on a school night, what do we say? You got to be in bed a little earlier. You want to do this. Why? Not because the school demands that you have your kids in bed by a certain time. Oh, did I just let the cat out of the bag? <laughs> Some of you are going, oh, pastor, you're not supposed to say that. My kids thought this was law. Um, but we do it because we're saying you need to be able to be ready for the next day. So you prepare. You think through. And could I just encourage you, you know, Sundays could be a lot more fun for you. If you just remember... Give yourself time on Saturday to where you can go to sleep and you haven't pressed it late. And I know it's, it's so nice because you say, it's finally, I, I, don't have any, I don't have any responsibilities, I don't have any duties. But just think about giving yourself time. Again, it's not law, but it is an opportunity. I, I don't think I'm going to stay up so late. I, I think I'll make sure I get to bed. If you see that clothing is creating a stress for you to be ready for Sunday, maybe plan ahead. Get your stuff ready so that in the morning, you know you've got two shoes that are going to be matching for your kids. You, know, you might have to put them under protective custody or whatever so your kids can't lose them. But have things ready. Now, this is going to sound heretical, and you don't have to. Could I suggest that Maybe get up just a little bit earlier than what you're getting up so that you're not feeling rushed and you're not creating stress where everyone now feels your stress in the morning and you've got to get there. Well, you know what? If you get up 15 minutes earlier or whatever, all of a sudden, no hurry. Yeah, we're good. You can stop and talk for a moment and it doesn't hurt you. If you can get here a little bit earlier, then you can chat with people. But something that would really be beneficial, again, not law, but it would be nice. You know, if you could come in a few minutes before church begins and just sit down and calm your heart for a moment and think about what you're about to do. I've come to worship God. 
Imagine how that would change how you can respond to singing, how you can respond to things. Maybe take a moment and just pray and ask the Lord to open your heart. Help me to understand your word.